Kevin, you think 315 is a best-kept secret when it comes to music venues in the area? I don't think so. I mean, there's a number of venues in the area that can attract world-class musical acts. You know, the Syracuse area does have a history of some phenomenal acts, and I think we're really getting back to those glory days. I think you're right, and we're going to speak with a visiting musician on this episode of The 315. Digital content on WAER is supported by SRC Incorporated, a not-for-profit research and development company whose goal is to bring a focus of respect, teamwork, and the freedom to innovate to the workplace. Learn more at srcinc.com slash waer. Welcome to the 315. I'm Kevin Claus. And I'm Joe Lee. Warmer temperatures in the area mean that it's prime entertainment season. That time of year where a festival is happening nearly every weekend and music venues fill their calendars with outstanding performers. On today's show, we're going to chat with one such performer. We welcome to the show critically acclaimed blues, roots, and rockabilly performer, singer, and songwriter Kevin Gordon. The Louisiana native performed recently at the Westcott Theater with Todd Snyder and is headlining his own show at the Nelson Odeon Concert Hall on Sunday, June 23rd. His album Tilt and Shine was voted the number two blues album of 2018 by Pace Magazine and the New York Times dubs him a musician and a poet. Kevin, welcome to the 315. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. Glad Joe. you're in town. Uh, so have you visited the uh, uh, Syracuse area before? I've been here a few times. Uh, I had family who lived here for a while. Uh, unfortunately, we decided to drive up here for two Christmases uh, <laughs> uh, when our kids were little, you know. And uh, wow, that was quite an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've been through a few times. Now. So are you uh, still based in Nashville now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you were uh, born and raised in Louisiana. Yep. Which has uh, deep rooted history in, in music, uh, just lots of different uh, genres of music that influence uh, the music scene there. What about uh, coming up in Louisiana sort of informed uh, either your music interest or you as a creator? Well, I mean, you're right. It is such a rich environment um, musically and culturally in general. Um you know, I guess I was lucky enough to have parents who who listened to, um, you know, they, they were Beatles generation people, but they actually uh, kind of went back. You know, they were more into like Ray Charles and um, the Jerry Lee Lewis stuff that was out at the time, which would have been on Smash in the 60s, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, of course, influenced uh, by rhythm and blues music. Um, but, you know. Country was early country was around. Webb Pierce is from West Monroe, uh, mm-hmm. the town across the river from where I grew up. So a uh, little bit of everything, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like in the songwriting, I'm trying to cram everything I love mm-hmm. <laughs> into every song, you know. Now, and and that's a good point. So did I uh, come close uh, to the truth when I introduced you? I mean, is it blues, rockability, roots, rockabilly, uh, roots music? How do you categorize? 
if you dare categorize yourself? Man, it's hard because now, like, all the songs are different, you know. Uh, when I play solo, uh, I'm playing in an open tuning, so it leads to kind of different voicings of the chords. But I'm playing an electric guitar through a little tiny amp, so it sort of sounds like John Lee Hooker, 1949. But then I went to graduate school in poetry, so there's somebody's rather obsessive uh, obsession about uh, lyric content. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's kind of whatever fits the story, mm -hmm. really. Um, you know, whatever feels right. And is that how you see yourself as a storyteller? I think so. I tend to write about um, people I know uh, or otherwise real people who have lived mm -hmm. in history, you know. Uh, I wrote a song about a quilter, of all things, from Yazoo <laughs> City, Mississippi, uh, a woman named Picolia Warner, uh, who has, you know, quilts in the Smithsonian. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that's from reading a book about Mississippi folk artists uh, by Dr. William Ferris some years ago. And uh, you never know where, where it's going to come from, mm -hmm. you know, quilts and rock and roll, you know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Joe sort of alluded to all the different genres your music could possibly fit into. So for those who are unfamiliar with your music, just give us a sense of some of your musical influences that have helped sort of inform your style. Okay. It's, um, you know, it's anything from uh, Hank Williams Sr. to uh, Muddy Waters to The Replacements to The Ramones, uh, to people like, uh, well, Lucinda Williams, of course, Nico Case. Um, you know, it's sort of like having an awareness of what came before you, but trying to take it somewhere somehow. You know, because I think that's what keeps the, the art valid or, you know, makes it valid. I was glad to hear you mention the Ramones. I had read that you were really into punk rock earlier in your life. I'm curious, yeah. when you listen to some of your songs with the music, do you see some of those punk rock influences that come in? Yeah, I mean, uh, not so much musically, I guess. Attitude-wise, maybe. Attitude-wise, mm -hmm. you know. And, of course, you know, Dylan's an influence on anybody who mm. writes songs. Uh, and there's a sort of commonality in the attitudes there to some extent. Um uh, you know, when when I when I need to find an extra bit of courage uh, for for getting out in front of people, uh, I, I like to say that I embrace my inner Dylan, um, which is the guy who doesn't care, mm -hmm. and that's so liberating. And as I've gotten a little older, it just it means a lot more to me than it ever has. Is that important? You think, as a musician who's been through a number of years? number of albums, to get to that point where it's okay for you to say, you know what, I don't care, this is what I'm going to do. Is that important for a musician who wants to have a long career? I think it's crucial, you know. I don't think it guarantees success by any means, but for me to feel like I'm out here doing something that means anything to me, I mean, you got to let it fly, whatever it is, you know. I mean, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really go off the you know, uh, off the chain, so to speak, uh, too far. But, um, you know, there, you've got to feel like you're going to walk out there and do what you want to do, what you feel like doing, you know. Uh, 
You you mentioned your um, background in in poetry, so you have a master's degree, yeah, um, MFA, uh, mm-hmm. MFA in in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that sets you apart a bit from your peers as a songwriter? Um, does that give you a, a bit of an edge? When I first moved to Nashville, it was very confusing for me. It was the first time I had seen the word songwriter printed in this sort of uh, pretentious calligraphic font Mm -hmm. and I despised it immediately (laughs) (laughs) Um, because you know when I was in school at Iowa the poets were kind of the juvenile delinquents of the workshop you know (laughs) because we didn't have editors from the Atlantic or the New Yorker flying in to read our work you know that was the fiction writers you know that was the commercial market Mm -hmm. over there we were the guys who were hanging out at the bars for three days straight you know just trying to I don't know. I don't know what we were trying to do. Uh, But uh, so I came at it from a different angle. And it took me about a year to realize like that, oh, because of my background, I'm not going to be one of those guys who sits in a cubicle and writes songs for country singers, you know, Uh, thank goodness, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, hats off to the people who can do that. It's it's a very particular craft, but, um, you know, everything I've ever had recorded by somebody else or in a film or something, it's always been a song I wrote for myself, mm-hmm. you know, or just for whomever, you know. And yet you, uh, so you, you, you were taken aback by seeing your seeing that title songwriter <laughs> uh and yet uh you have some some pretty big names of folks out there covering your music uh yeah. so they they um are definitely taking uh to what you're writing so um you had uh Keith Richards um covering uh Levon Helm mm-hmm. and uh Shamika Copeland yeah. uh, doing doing your music yeah. uh that must be something you know man it always feels great you know no matter what you might think about the finished cover of your song, mm-hmm. you know that's your dirty little secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I, I want to ask you. So, what what is it? What is it like um, hearing different interpretations of your music? It's always fun. Uh huh. You never know. Like uh, when I first heard uh, Irma Thomas's version of Flowers, I, you know, I I couldn't quite get my head around it i mean it's fine i mean it's fine it's Mm -hmm. irma thomas you know one of my heroes you know uh do what you want to do you know Mm -hmm. um but uh you know you never know the and the the keith and levon cut uh it was much slower than i thought it would be okay um so i listened to uh shamika copeland do uh one i love yeah And it was a different thing for her. Yeah. Um, and and d- was it your song that took her to a different place, you think? I don't know. I When I heard she was going to record that, I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> well, that could be cool. You know, I, I couldn't quite hear it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so how did you how did you write it? You intended it to be what? What kind of song? 
Well, uh, it's it's on a record of mine that came out in 2012 called Glory Land. And um, it's a very, you know, the songs on that record, ha- a lot of them hang together thematically in terms of being uh slightly dystopian i guess um so one i love was like this kind of weird it's like if buddy holly wrote a dystopian love song and then <laughs> got the replacements to be the backing band or something i, I don't know uh, maybe not quite that disorganized but um you know it's just lyrically i could understand why it would be interesting mm-hmm. that she would cut it for that record um uh, musically i wasn't sure where where they were going to take it okay I'm going to try to draw the closest parallel I can for t- from what I do to what you do. <laughs> I have a number of pair of headphones, but I've got one set of studio phones that even if everyone else says it's the same quality, those are my phones that I go to when I need the cleanest, crispest sound. Do you have something like that with a guitar where when you just need to rock, that's the guitar you go to? Yeah. Um, you know, usually, like for the solo gig... 90% of the time I'm playing a, a 1956 uh, Gibson ES125, mm. which is an electric arch top. In its day, it was kind of a student model, I think. Uh, but it is just, it has been my best friend guitar-wise <laughs> for, for many years now. Um, you know, with the band, it's a little more open-ended. I have a Telecaster that I pick up for certain things. So it just depends on the song. Mm-hmm. But um, having that 125 for the solo gig, also, uh, I, I started playing it in an open tuning. That that was another thing that gave me the courage to start playing solo, was that suddenly, and for those of you who don't play guitar, an open tuning means when you strum across all the strings, it, it makes a chord. Um, so it, it's a very full sound. And... Uh, so over the years, I've just figured out these different chord shapes to make with my fingers uh, to make chords in different positions. And um, it has a very, uh, I think, distinct sound to it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, that's, uh, you know, that's probably my favorite guitar. It was a 125. It is a distinct sound. I uh, really enjoyed I was listening to uh, a lot of the music uh, before you came. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lyrics really stick out. Oh, you know, the, 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 uh, the poetic nature of the way you write. Every river's a daughter of dirty rain. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a cool line. Um, I want to take a little, a bis- uh, we want to take a listen to, to the, a little bit of the song and then okay. maybe talk about the story sure. behind it. Yeah. She gave it to me 
Saint Christopher around my neck Wherever I go There's a daughter of a dirty rain See how it shines How it shines Water's moving like the blood Pushing through my veins See how it shines So the, the song is Saint on a Chain and uh, it's some pretty good storytelling going on there. What, what's going on? What's happening? Well, I started that song after going back to louisiana for a visit um you know i keep going back trying to figure the place out (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't know that we ever figure out our hometowns uh but um i also like to just go back and eat um (laughs) but you are what we call loyal to our soil indeed Uh, yeah um but uh you know uh Monroe is a fairly small city, uh, smaller than it's ever been, actually, um, in, in a very long time due to economic things that have happened. But uh, I had just heard that uh, a friend of mine was going through a, a rather dark time, and uh, a mutual friend of ours told me this story that was haunting. Um, and uh, I, I started thinking back to the last time I'd seen this guy and uh, just started writing about it mm-hmm. in his voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now I confess I did a little Bible research, did a little Bible study, which will make my grand- great-grandfather happy, but uh, <laughs> because I wanted that story uh, about, uh, you know, the saint carrying people across the flooded river. Mm-hmm. I wanted that in the song somehow. Rarely am I that deliberate. Mm-hmm. It's it's often much more intuitive. But I figured since I'm dealing with a saint here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I should, you know, try to try hone to in right. on that a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, and it helped. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped inform that chorus. And uh, But the song took forever to write. Mm-hmm. I mean, seven, eight years maybe. Wow. wow. And it was like... You something you just kept coming back to and adding to it, or just it was just in your mind for eight years. Just yeah, I, I would try different chord progressions, different melodies. Uh, there used to, it used to be like a real kind of riff rock, kind of heavier rock song mm-hmm. um, that sound ended up sounding too much like a certain period of Steve Earle to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then the recording of it, which was done in twenty seventeen took it somewhere else um so it's interesting how they they sort of uh you know they're chameleons you know they change mm-hmm. um and you're not sure how in which direction they're going to go you know you happy with the obviously happy with the final product there. yeah yeah um that's actually ian fitchick on drums who just won a grammy for producing the casey musgraves record last oh, wow. year. <laughs> A bit of trivia there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my friend Joe McMahon produced the record and, and as as usual. Now, you mentioned one of your earlier albums. You felt like all the songs on that album sort of had a dystopian feel to them. What about Tilt and Shine? When we look at those songs, what was sort of on your mind when you wrote those songs and maybe when you 
planned the recording sessions? A lot of stories. Um, I knew I knew Saint was going to be on the record. I had that song, the the opening track, uh, "Fire at the End of the World," which is a true story about a, a friend of mine's son who, you know, decided to have a kind of a wild trip down to South Louisiana and ended up in jail. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, I guess if anything, it, it has to do with. Uh, choices people make and how that relates to, to personal responsibility uh, where, wherever you are in your life. Uh, uh, that song you played a bit of it, the opening, Get It Together, um, you know, that that was me sort of talking to myself, but also me talking to another friend. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess all the songs, since I'm writing about real people and often people I know, it's it feels like, you know, an empathetic gesture, like you're trying to just talk talk to them or tell their story somehow, you know, mm-hmm. in an unpretentious way, hopefully, you know. Um, but, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a good guess anyway. <laughs> Seems like uh, almost every musician I speak with um, is drawn to Nashville. What's that grind like? being there um what's the what's the pull it's a fairly well it used to be a fairly inexpensive city to live in i guess compared to new york or la it still is mm-hmm. um, for me um at the time i moved there i knew i had friends who had already moved there who were musicians so I had a place to stay when I went to kind of check things out, um, you know, go visit industry people, talk to them, kind of get a feel for it. It was closer to Louisiana in a way, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, physically, but culturally as well. Um, uh, I mean, it's not deep south by any means, but. You know, they uh, good. They got good fried chicken. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> you're in the plate lunch zone. You know, uh, which I'm always drawn to. Is it a um, uh, nurturing environment for uh, artistic expression? Um, is it a, a bit of an incubator for artistic creation? I think so. For me, it was immediate as soon as I landed there you start thinking about who lives in that town or who has lived there and the things they accomplished there, the songs they wrote, uh, you know, which were written probably, you know, in my case, you know, less than two blocks around the corner from where I live now, you know, Guy Clark in Towns Van Zandt lived, you know. Uh, so there, there are all kinds of ghosts around. And there are all kinds of, you know, great living uh, artists and songwriters and guitar players and, you know, recording engineers, whatever, floating around. You know, there's so much knowledge in the wind, you know, so to speak, that you always feel like you have to up your game. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, I felt that pressure. Um, You know, 
it, it, it took me a while to realize that where I fit into the community, which is, you know, now it's obviously broader than just the country music business. But back then, this was 92, you know, people still thought of it as very much just a country town, mm-hmm. you know. And um, even then, I mean, there were all kinds of things going on, you know. Every, anybody who tours would come through there, mm-hmm. you know. So tell us a little bit about your gig at the Nelson Odeon. What are you going to be doing? What are you anticipating? I'm anticipating a lot of fun. <laughs> After playing uh, many, many solo gigs on this tour, which I enjoy thur- thoroughly, uh, I will have my my rhythm section in tow. Our rehearsal will be at the Rochester International Jazz Festival the day before. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Everybody know each other? You know, <laughs> uh, the on-stage handshake. Uh, but now I'm, I'm flying in my bass player, Ron Eoff, from Nashville, flying him to Pittsburgh and picking him up on the 21st as I drive back from Charlotte, North Carolina. And then uh, we meet our drummer friend from Boston, uh, Marco Giovino, who was the drummer in uh, uh, the Band of Joy, uh, Robert Plant and, and uh, Patty Griffin. Um um, fantastic drummer. Mm-hmm. I know him from when he lived in Nashville, and he just loves to play with with us. So mm-hmm. we have him any chance he feels like driving. You know, have you have you played there before at the Odeon? Yeah. Yes, I have. Okay, uh, uh, and Marco was on that gig as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, different bass player, and r- really enjoyed it. I love mm-hmm. I love those. those it's a great venue. Old mm-hmm. halls like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they just sound so good. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. What say we, uh, if you don't mind, give the folks a little taste of uh, what they might get? Sure. Let's see. All right. Uh, this is uh, an older song I wrote with my friend Gwil Owen. Uh, this is the one that... Uh, Keith Richards and Levon Helm and Scotty Moore and a bunch of other famous older older gentlemen cut some years ago. It's called Deuce and a Quarter. Buy a bottle, get to feeling good. The world's looking like you think it should. Happy hour, everyone's your friend. Closing time, sugar, you down again. Up in the morning and you face this town. You walk the same streets up and down. Fire burning in your worn-out shoes. Every day you got something to prove. The curb feelers and the thin skirts. Scrub the chrome until your elbow hurts. Pinstripes and cherry packs. Grass stands on your second-hand slacks Keep on betting, think you're going to win You can dress it up and try to pretend Car's a car and that's a fact I do sound a quarter in a Cadillac Uncle Johnny Hypochondriac 
thinks his headache is a heart attack. Honey, bring me down a couple more pills. Call that lawyer up and change my will. Ham sandwich and a glass of tea. Lunch is cheap but never free. Shaking hands and scratching backs. Grass stains on your second hand slacks. Keep on betting, think you're going to win. You can dress it up and try to pretend. Car's a car and that's a fact. A deuce and a quarter in a Cadillac. I got a date, got to dress with care. Wash the gray right out of my hair. Clean the car out and when I'm through. Wax it up until it looks brand new. The curb feeders and the fender skirts. Scrub the chrome until my elbow hurts. Pin straps and cherry bags. Grass stains on my second hand snacks. Keep on betting, think you're going to win. You can dress it up and try to pretend. Cause a car and that's a fact. And a quarter into Cadillac Cause a car and that's a fact A deuce and a quarter into Cadillac Yeah, man. <laughs> well, Kevin Gordon on the 315. Thank you very much for uh, for visiting with us. Oh, thanks for having me, and Joe. Best yeah. of luck with your uh, show at the uh, Nelson Odeon. Well, appreciate it. Out in Madison County. Yeah. You just said my entire line. Did I say your line? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go from the let's go look. I I'm I'm a professional. I'm just not I wasn't that sure if you expected me to read yours then no, or No, go for the go for the go for the close. Kevin Gordon, thanks for joining us on the 315 and best of luck to you with your show. Thanks very much, Kevin. Kevin's going to you're welcome. He's going to appear at the Nelson Odeon in Madison County on June 23rd. We'll have a link to the venue site uh, on in our show notes at waer.org. Um, it's a great place to hear live music, that Nelson Odeon, so we, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. We'll also have a link to Kevin's album Tilt and Shine at waer.org, so you can check out more of his songs. The 315 is a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can subscribe to get future shows wherever you get your podcasts. And we're going to go out today with a song off Kevin Gordon's new album Tilt and Shine, my personal favorite, Right on Time. I'm Kevin Claus. And I'm Joe Lee. Thanks for listening. Time for love, praying for love, I'll be there. Right.